Support for the Health Channel podcast comes from Florida Cancer Specialists. Florida Cancer Specialists urges everyone not to postpone recommended screenings, such as mammograms, colonoscopies, or biopsies. Regular screenings save lives. More at flcancer.com slash get screened. Welcome to the Health Channel, All Health All the Time. I'm Olga Villaverde coming to you from the Baptist Health South Florida studios. So on our All About Cancer show, we're gonna be talking about minimally invasive approaches to the thyroid gland. This is something that really a lot of people don't think about, but it does happen. And we're gonna be talking about the newest techniques that'll help you get through this. And joining us today, we have two fabulous experts with us. We have Chief of Endocrine Surgery at Miami Cancer Institute, Dr. Robert Udelsman, and Dr. Nita Erringeri, endocrine surgeon, also at Miami Cancer Institute. Welcome to both of you. Well, thank you and thank good morning. You. Um, both of you, I kind of want to first start with just Anatomy 101. Can we do that? The thyroid gland. Doctor, first tell me, you know, what it is and the importance behind it, because it's really important. So the thyroid gland is a gland located in your neck, mm -hmm. and it controls many aspects of metabolism by making thyroid hormones, of which there are two. But the thyroid gland is a gland you take for granted until the day that you have a problem. So true. So true. Either you have too much thyroid hormone or too little thyroid hormone, and each can be problematic. And if you have too much, that's hyper Correct. thyroidism. And if you have too little, it's hypo. You got it exactly right. Both are treated differently, and we're going to talk about that as well. Um, how does it work, Dr. Erin Jerry, uh, 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 just in our body, regulating all those hormones that are so important? So basically, you have signals throughout your body that uh, it's communi the, that communicate together. So you have a signal from your brain that is released uh, when you need extra thyroid hormone if it is responding appropriately, and when you have enough thyroid hormone, that that hormone is downregulated then, uh, because the thyroid hormone releases. The thyroid releases its hormone, which then circulates to the rest of the body and has an effect. All right, fantastic. All right, we have uh, different types of thyroid cancers. There's actually several of them, in case you didn't know. It's not just one. So let's take these one by one if we can. Uh, papillary is the first one, I believe, doctor? Yeah, so papillary thyroid cancer is actually the most common type of, of thyroid cancer that we see. And um, it is... It, m most prevalent, it is diagnosed very commonly, and it also has a very good prognosis. So okay, good. from a patient standpoint, actually, that is, it's the least aggressive of the thyroid cancer. So it's a, it tends to be a very slow-growing cancer. It can occur on either side, as Dr. Udelsman was uh, explaining, and does have that kind of typical spread pattern if it does spread outside of the thyroid gland. All right, and then we have a few more. Are those less common? They are, yeah. So um, More serious? They, they are in increasing kind of level of aggressiveness. So anaplastic, the last one, is extremely rare, but uh, the most aggressive as far as thyroid cancers go. Um, and then follicular and medullary, again, intermediate in regards to the aggressiveness level. And there are, there are a spectrum for each type of, of these cancers, uh, but they are less common as, as we go. All the right. vast majority of patients with thyroid cancer are presenting with papillary thyroid cancer. All right, Dr. Udelsman, um, do we know what causes uh, thyroid cancer? Are there risk factors? Is it a genetic predisposition, your parents, or all of the above? Well, it's all of the above, okay. but let's try to break it down into a, a little bit more simplified manner. The vast majority of patients with thyroid cancer do not have a clear reason why they have it. 
it's spontaneous, it occurs in the general population, and we actually have an epidemic of thyroid cancer, not only in the United States, really? but throughout the world. And the reason, at least 50%, is because we have incredibly sensitive imaging in the form of ultrasound, and we're seeing tiny, tiny little thyroid cancers for the first time. And believe it or not, we believe that some of these thyroid cancers can be watched and don't necessarily need surgery, and certainly not aggressive surgery. All right. But there are other patients who do have family histories, and there are rare genetic syndromes associated with some very interesting and complicated forms of thyroid cancer, particularly medullary cancer of the thyroid. And finally, radiation exposure, particularly children who are rated in by accidents such as Chernobyl or mm. other areas are at higher risk throughout their lifetime and they have a latency period or delay from the time of exposure to the time of cancer can be 30 years. So those patients need to be followed for life. They're very interesting and complicated. There's been numerous new approaches and they've been uh, over the years to uh, improve the cosmetic outcomes of thyroid surgery. So there's one I want to talk about, uh, Dr. Udelsman. It's transoral thyroidectomy. We have great pictures to show our viewers. I want to say there's about five or six. So first tell us what transoral thyroidectomy is, what kind of technique this is. So a little bit of background, Olga. So this really excitement began in the Asian countries where women in China, Japan, Thailand, South Korea are very concerned about the appearance of their necks. The neck is a very important area for Asian women. All but, right. but it began in Asia because women didn't want a neck incision. And therefore, surgeons developed techniques which are sometimes seem almost barbaric. For instance, going through the axilla, the armpit, going through the breast, that's a technique that we use. And in our case, we found all of those techniques to be pretty complicated and difficult. A surgeon in Thailand worked on a technique to go through the lip. The wow. entire procedure was done through the lip, going down over the chin to get to the, the neck, thyroid. To get to the thyroid. Three months later, you can't even find the suture line. It's impossible because the lip heals differently than the skin on the neck. But uh, that's a lot better in terms of, um, and doctor, let me bring you in now, in terms of, you know, a woman or anybody who doesn't want to have that ugly scar there. That's yeah. really a great approach. I mean, and that's exactly really why, why it is an option for patients. It is for the cosmetic closure um, effect. The neck does heal very well from an open incision, but if you do not want a visible incision, this is what we find to be kind of the best approach for that. And I only got about 10 seconds left, but what's like recovery? Pretty fast? Pretty fast. One night in the hospital, they generally go home the next day eating regular food, really big on oral hygiene right after because we want to make sure those stitches stay clean um, and uh, usually you know kind of back to normal in a, in a week or so. Love to hear that back to normal. Fantastic. If you haven't already, download the free Health Channel app. It's available at the App Store or Google Play. Doctors, uh, we'd like to take a phone call if you don't mind before we continue our fact. Uh, we have Don uh, from Palm Beach Gardens, I believe it is. Uh -huh. Hi, Don. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, thank you. What's your question, dear? Okay, so I have um, uh, thyroid nodules, and I'm 57 years old, and they were found just basically accidentally when they were doing uh, some checks of the arteries in my neck. Um, and so I, I went and had them diagnosed, and um, they were found to be benign. Um, and I was wondering, I understand a lot of it, Mostly women seem to get this, and I thought it odd that I would get it um, after researching it because it was found accidentally. I had no idea how long I had them. So I was wondering, is there anything I can do to 
keep them from growing or converting into cancer, um, such as what I'm eating or my stress levels or anything like that? Great question. Great question. Dr. Udelsman? Well, you brought up many important issues. Number one, you mentioned that you thought it was unusual that you were male. Thyroid cancer and thyroid nodules are three times more common in women than men, but it does occur in men as well, as your case shows. The fact that you had a biopsy and they're benign is very reassuring. A biopsy of a thyroid nodule is a very good diagnostic study, but nothing is 100%, so therefore you need to be followed for life by a competent doctor, and it sounds like you have one. Also, you asked about what can cause them to grow. Well, the first and most important thing is to make sure your thyroid hormone levels are normal, and I'm sure your doctor checked them, and I'm assuming that your TSH and thyroid hormone levels are normal. And finally, you asked about converting from benign to malignant. That essentially never occurs with rare, rare exceptions. So benign nodules start out as benign and they can grow and get bigger, but big cancers start out as little cancers and they get bigger. But generally speaking, with rare exceptions, they don't convert from benign to malignant. So in your case, you can be followed very comfortably without surgical intervention for perhaps your whole life and never have them removed. Wow, that's good to hear. Um, and unfortunately, my brother passed away from throat cancer. So when I, and he was just a few years older than me. And when I found out that I had these thyroid nodules, well, you can guess uh, where my thoughts were. I was scared to death and pretty much still am. Um, cause he was a, he looked like he was in perfect health. And then when I asked him, how did he get this? He didn't smoke. He didn't drink. He said it was all based on stress. And um, I have a pretty good size stress level with my career and family and everything in basic life. So uh, I quit drinking alcohol entirely. I've monitored my sugar levels. And I'm getting ready to go in for my annual sonogram to see if they've grown or not. So that's where I am. And um, it was very reassuring to hear that you said they do not normally convert into cancer. So that's been my biggest fear. Sure. And just a comment about the stress. So there's a concept about immune surveillance and stress, that stressed individuals are a little bit compromised in their immune systems, and that makes them at slightly increased risk for cancers. But the fact of the matter is, is that we're all stressed. There isn't a human being alive who isn't stressed, and the data are very soft and proving a direct relationship between the two. So obviously, there are many reasons to relieve stress in your life, but part stress is part of living, and they're very difficult to avoid, like doing this interview right now, for example. So we all live with stress. It's how you deal with that stress in your lifetime. Absolutely. Oh, Don, thank you so much for calling into the Health Channel. First and foremost, I'm so sorry for your loss with your brother. And I must say, you know, I'm so glad you called in. It, it sounds like this is, this is one individual who has done, it sounds like he's doing everything right, you know, and, and he got educated, he quit drinking, good for you, eating better. So he's doing everything humanly possible, which is fantastic as well. Thank you, Don, again. Um, all right, Dr. Erin Jerry, I want to now cover, if you don't mind, hyperparathyroidism. What exactly is hyperparathyroidism? So as we kind of alluded to earlier, the parathyroid glands are four small glands that reside next to the thyroid gland and a little bit behind. 
there's the expected locations, which are right tucked up kind of underneath and behind the thyroid gland. But there are a lot of other locations where they can be based on how they migrate during uh, embryologic development. And primary hyperparathyroidism, which is the main reason that as a surgeon we get involved in parathyroid disease, is where the parathyroid glands, whose job is to control calcium levels in your bloodstream, stop responding to the natural signals. And they overproduce parathyroid hormone, which leads to increasing levels of calcium in the bloodstream. Okay, and those calcium levels in the bloodstream, obviously not good to have. Yeah, the high calcium in the bloodstream is not good because that in and of itself causes some issues, but also from having high parathyroid hormone, that also causes other problems in that it affects the bones, it pulls calcium out of the bones and can cause bone thinning, osteopenia and osteoporosis, and then yeah, the effects of the actual calcium itself can cause um, many symptoms, general symptoms, fatigue, um, memory fogginess, um, difficulty with concentration and, and, and thinking, as well as um, abdominal pain, loss of appetite, constipation. There's a vast majority, uh, or vast uh, breadth of symptoms that, that people can present with. All right, well, first of all, I want to emphasize, Olga, that the vast majority of patients with parathyroid tumors, primary, secondary, or tertiary hyperparathyroidism, do not have parathyroid cancer. Got it. Parathyroid cancer is rare, and at the Miami Cancer Institute, we deal with both benign and malignant nodules and tumors. So the vast majority, we're not really worried about cancer, but it produces this hormone that Dr. Aaron Jerry so nicely described. The hormone is released from the parathyroid glands, goes into the bloodstream where it binds to receptors in areas like the bone, and the abnormally elevated parathyroid hormone levels force the bone to release calcium inappropriately mm. into the blood system. System. That's why calcium is high in the blood. The high calcium goes to the kidney where it gets excreted, and that can form things like kidney stones or it can actually calcify the kidneys. So it's a vicious cycle. As long as the parathyroid hormone level is high, the bones pay the price, the bones get weak, the patients get osteopenia and osteoporosis or risk for bone fractures. So that's part of the reason we like to fix these problems early. All right. um, this invasive transcervical parathyroidectomy. Now, this is another technique. Uh, how does it work? Paint the picture for us. So we recognize that 85% of patients with primary hyperparathyroidism only have one abnormal gland. And if we know where that gland is, as we can image by a variety of imaging techniques preoperatively, we can design an operation custom made for the patient, and we can do the operation under a cervical block technique. We don't need general anesthesia. We can make a tiny little incision, go in there through the neck, take it out, and then during surgery, use a hormone analysis to prove that the parathyroid hormones fall appropriately, and we can even send them home the same day. Really? And we do that all the time. So the majority of our parathyroid surgery is done as an outpatient using the techniques we just described, and that's what a minimally invasive parathyroidectomy is. All right, is this uh, for anyone? Can uh, anyone, everybody's a candidate? Everyone's a candidate, but However, everyone might be appropriate. So again, it's the same process. We see the patients, we screen them, we do their imaging, we confirm the diagnosis, and then we have a conversation. What's the recovery like, Dr. Everything? So for patients who go home the same day, it's exactly that. They're usually back to back to kind of their normal levels of activity that night. You're eating regular food. People think they can't talk. They can. You're able to do realistically whatever you want. Pain for a couple of days, and realistically, that's about it. We see them in the office about th three to four days after surgery, and um, 
you know, we, we, we have a look at the incision, usually things are healed up very well and we release them back to full activity and, and uh, whatever they want to Are do. they surprised to hear just how, you know, you're in and out in the procedure? I mean, that's, what are they saying? We actually prefer not to say that. <laughs> we tell them, we hope it goes perfectly well. So we like to do as little as necessary but as much as required. Because we never know what case it seems is going to be very straightforward, turn to a much more complicated operation. What we don't want to do is fail to cure the patient at the first operation. That's our gold standard. So at the end of the day, we have three concerns. Cure, safety, cosmesis, in that order, not the other way around. Cure, safety, cosmesis. I agree with you. And you are cautiously optimistic. Of course. That's what I'm going to say from now on. We're going to talk about another procedure. It's minimally invasive transoral parathyroidectomy. Another mouthful. We're going to get to that, what it is, and uh, the story of a woman, actually, a wonderful lady. She's going to join us. Her name is Lynette Boudou, who had this procedure. I believe it was the first here at Baptist Hospital. First in Florida. First in Florida. Fantastic. So you haven't already, download the free Health Channel app. It's available at the App Store or Google Play. I'm glad to be here. You're nervous. I know you are. <laughs> but we had so much fun talking before the show started. So are you having fun yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, but we are going to. Um, all right. So we talked about uh, primary hyper parathyroidism. That's what you were diagnosed with. Correct. All right. Doctor, quickly tell me again what that is before I ask Lynette a question or two. Primary hyperparathyroidism is an abnormality where one or more parathyroid glands secrete parathyroid hormone levels inappropriately in the body, resulting in hypercalcemia in most cases. So a worst case scenario for that person would be? Those patients can develop severe neurocognitive dysfunction, Ooh. depression, anxiety, insomnia. They can also develop severe bone loss, osteopenia, and oh, wow. osteoporosis. A whole host and of they things. develop kidney stones on top of that. All right, so Lynette, tell me your story in terms of before you're diagnosed, uh, what was going on? What, what led you to Dr. Yudelsman? Well, I had uh, been running a high parathyroid for a number of years. Uh, my primary had sent me uh, to an endocrinologist because my calcium levels were high, were very as high. doctors spoke about. Okay. And so um, in 2017, my endocrinologist um, found that I had a small nodule on one of my parathyroids. Mm. And in January of this year, um, he suggested that I have a consult with Dr. Usman. And he suggested because of that nodule? And because I was running this high parathyroid for a number of years. Okay. Uh, when she comes to you, doctor, then you notice what? Well, the first thing is we verify the diagnosis mm -hmm. because sometimes patients are sent inappropriately. She was completely appropriate. She had clear indications for surgery. And then the question becomes is where is this abnormal gland? In her case, she had a good suggestion, but then we had a very interesting and unusual conversation because I described doing an incision, a standard incision at the base of her neck, and she told me she wanted something different. And she wanted something different, because that would be the protocol, right? An incision here at the neck? That is the for most, most common approach. And that would be what, that's called what, doctor? A transcervical, minimally invasive approach. Which we which just covered. I was happy to offer her, and did offer her, and she said, well, I want to have a conversation about that. And she wanted to have a conversation about that because you have a skin condition that was concerning you. What is that, Lynette? It's vitiligo. Uh, vitiligo? Where, yes, where I have been losing my pigment. So you have this condition on your arm and your body? Yes. Okay, and that condition is what? Could you define it for me? 
Well, it's, it's just that I'm losing uh, my pigment because the melanocytes are no longer there. Okay, now when you notice she has vitiligo, that's what it's called, vitiligo, then you realize, okay, we, we can't do this because... I didn't quite realize it. She educated me. She has me to tell you, okay. Because this is a fairly rare skin condition and I'm not an expert, but it turns out that about 20% of patients with vitiligo, when you make an incision, mm -hmm. it activates that immune process where they destroy the melanocytes, the pigment cells, and that area becomes white or depigmented. And to oh. me, she told me the story that her beautician, Nick the back of her neck and sure enough on the back of the neck is a little white spot yeah and the thing is it, it would spread obviously understandably so right doctor so yeah so we now have this condition where I know if I make an incision I'm probably going to activate this response so that she gets this white depigmentation which she liked to avoid and she then said <laughs> well I said to him am I a good candidate for the transoral parathyroidectomy. Oh my gosh, they, you go girl. You, I mean, you're completely <laughs> educated on this and you even knew the whole term. It's, this is the first <laughs> time I hear about this. Transoral parathyroidectomy. So you had already done your homework? Well, I'd read a lot about doctor and Good what he you. had done. Okay, so, so she I know wants- he had done this on the thyroid. All right, so she wants to have this uh, technique, this procedure, I should say, and she does. She and this is the first one in Florida here at Baptist Hospital. Yes, it's oh, all fantastic. true. Were you nervous a little bit to be the first? Well, I didn't know I was going to be the first. <laughs> <laughs> She's so, so I was cute. not nervous. So when they told you, you're the first. Yeah, doctor told me after the surgery. What were your thoughts? Oh, after? Yeah. <laughs> well, let me say this. <laughs> She's the first in Florida, but not the first for me and not the first in the United States. Okay. <laughs> That's a great clarification. All right. So... <laughs> It's always great to be the first. You see, your name is in lights already and stars. Um, okay, so tell me exactly what the transoral parathyroidectomy is and what you did. So as we showed in the transoral thyroidectomy, it's essentially the same operation. We went through her lower lip, over her chin with her trocars, down into her neck, and we knew where the parathyroid gland was. And I have to tell you, it was pretty easy in her case because parathyroid tumors, which are benign, are much smaller than the average thyroid tumor. So it made everything a lot easier. And it didn't take us very long. And she had a really nice operative result. So you have your incision in the, uh, forgive my ignorance, the upper or lower lip? The lower lip. The lower lip. You don't know. Totally, you can't find her incision. I love that. How, uh, tell me about your recovery. How was it? Well, it was, um, I just spent one night in the hospital. Uh, that morning I had breakfast, and then I went home around lunchtime. All right. And there was, I had no pain for the entire surgery. I felt no pain. Oh, that's fantastic. After. So is she cured now, doctor? She's cured. I, I always try to be careful when I say that word. Yeah, she's cured biochemically. That's how we monitor this disease. Of course, we follow these patients for life, really not myself, but the endocrinologist. But because she had a single gland abnormality and she had a good biochemical response, her recurrence rate is really in the 1% or 2% range oh, in her lifetime. Great. So it's excellent. So we expect her to be fine. And of course, over time, her bones will improve. We think her thinking will improve, but it's hard to measure that sometimes. So, but people do report to us that depression, anxiety gets way better after surgery. Oh, that, do you feel, um, do you feel something? Do you feel better physically, emotionally, spiritually after the surgery? Well, yes, I do feel better. Oh, that's good. In, in all what those way? areas. Yeah? And, um, Can you describe it to me in what way? 
Well, be more specific, maybe? Um, I am less tired. I used to be Fantastic. quite tired. Okay. And then the thing is my calcium levels have gone down to normal levels, which is very important because I do have osteopenia. Okay. Um, I know I wanted to cover a couple things. You did tell me before you came on the show that your sister also uh, has this condition, or had, I had, should say, had yes. past tense. Okay, doctor, is this um, genetic? Yeah, well, that is a concern of ours, and it concerned me about, about you, because when we have familial cases, it's usually multi-gland disease mm. and not single-gland disease, and the transoral approach is not a good approach for multi-gland disease. But in her case, because of her concern about that, we really imaged her with a very high quality, what's called a four-dimensional CT scan, which was exquisite in detail and suggested just a single gland. So I said, okay, because of your compelling reason with the vitiligo, I think you're a good candidate. I just want to mention something. At the end of the day, no matter how much a patient wants something, if we don't think it's appropriate, Absolutely. we won't do it. Absolutely. We'll just say, I'm sorry, I can't offer this to you. Maybe I can tell you someone else who might, but I won't I do that right. if it's not appropriate. And that's the right thing to do, and that's the Hippocratic Oath right there. Um, Lynette, I'm going to quote something that you told my producer, Isabel. You said uh, that you uh, are very grateful, quote, for Dr. Udelsman, because he really cares about his patients, and you felt he cared about you. Oh my gosh. Could you describe just that feeling of what he gave you? Well, the reason I, I have come to that conclusion is, you know, the first time that I visited him, um, he was going to give me a cut on my neck. And on the second um, visit, when I explained to him about my concerns about my vitiligo, uh, he said, well, let me research this. So I saw that he, didn't, he wasn't dismissive. Uh, he listened to me, and afterwards he said, you know, we have indeed found out that this happens. So that was just a bonding that, I, I, he, that showed me he cared. He went because the extra he didn't, mile, didn't yes, he? Yes, because he didn't have to do it. I know. And also he had to do different little things with administration before I had the surgery, which he could have he just said no. He could have just said, no, I can't. How grateful are you, Lynette? Very, very grateful. And thank you, doctor. You're very oh, welcome. You're very welcome. How does that make you feel? Oh, it's what we do. This is why we. This is why we live. This is what we do every day for patients. And I have to. Let's take it beyond you. So patients who don't heal properly, like patients who form keloids, and some of them are dramatic. This approach makes a lot of sense. And the reason I think you're so important as a patient is you're the first patient in the world with a combination of vitiligo and primary hyperparathyroidism treated this way, but I think we can extrapolate this technique to many other individuals. That's why this is so important. It goes way beyond you. And by the way, I had to prompt her a little bit to come on this television show today, but her sin response to me is always the same. If it helps others, oh. I want to do it. If you haven't already, download the free Health Channel app. It's available at the App Store or Google Play. So in this last segment, we're going to discuss minimally invasive approaches to the adrenal gland. So just like we did before, I always like to do Anatomy 101. So Dr. Aaron Jerry. Actually, the adrenal glands are, are two small glands that you have on either side. They sit on top of your kidney. So this is you know very far in your back and, and much lower down than what we've been talking about in the neck. 
and the adrenal gland has a capsule around it and then it has this outer layer which is uh, broken up into three zones and each zone produces a different type of hormone and then the central layer called the medulla. Um, so you have the cortex and the medulla and they produce different hormones that are then secreted uh, throughout the body and that's its, its major function, um, producing those hormones and how those hormones affect the rest of the body. Alright, so it's located near the kidneys and what are the hormones for? They produce the hormones to regulate so each different area produces different hormones. So uh, in the cortex, you have three major zones, uh, and those zones produce mineralocorticoids, glucocorticoids, and, cortico uh, and uh, androgens, or, or the se like sex uh, hormones. And so the um, mineralocorticoids affect your blood pressure in regards to how your body secretes and absorbs water and uh, salt. And the glucocorticoids are steroid hormones that are um, help regulate the stress response, and then the androgens uh, affect sexual development and um, and and drive. And then in the medulla, which is the center portion, uh, you produce your catecholamines. This is your fight or flight response, norepinephrine, epinephrine, what people think of as adrenaline coming from the adrenal glands. All right. Okay. So lots of functions there. Lots of hormones. So. Two common ways that it can be affected in terms of our, our health would be uh, too little or too much being produced. Can you explain that to our audience? Uh, I guess that would be the same concept uh, that Dr. Udelsman and I were talking about, hypo, hyper, too much, too little. Yes, and, and it's a little different in the adrenal gland um, in that um, it's based on each specific hormone. Uh, so you can have tumors within the adrenal gland that overproduce <clears throat> overproduce uh, certain hormones. Uh, you can have overactivity because of stimulation from the brain. Like all endocrine organs, it's a feedback mechanism. And so the adrenal gland receives signals and responds appropriately or sometimes inappropriately, which is when we run into the situation of too little hormone production uh, or too much hormone production. And those um, presentations vary based on what hormone is is in imbalance. Thank you for that uh, a great uh, anatomy 101. She mentioned adrenal tumors. So tell us, um, I guess, uh, how does it occur? And, and if so, uh, I guess the dangers and the health issues behind it. First, let's define tumor. Tumor means an abnormal growth. They're usually benign, but they can be malignant. So we deal with all different kinds of adrenal tumors. They're either functional or non-functional. Mm -hmm. If they're functional, they produce too many of the hormones that Dr. Aaron Jerry so nicely described. If they're non-functional, they just grow and we can watch them. Of course, any tumor present, whether it's functional or not, has the potential for being malignant or cancer, and we have to deal with those consequences of what to do about them. There are definitely reasons that people have to have surgery on the kidneys, um, but what we're talking about specifically is in an adrenal tumor, especially if we're talking about a benign adrenal tumor, we tend to remove the adrenal gland and leave the kidney in, in the body, okay. and we remove the adrenal gland. And generally speaking, the surgery is to remove the entire adrenal gland, not just carving out the tumor, but there are rare instances when someone has had one adrenal gland removed and we're having a problem with the remaining, only remaining adrenal gland, where we could do what, what's called a cortical sparing adrenalectomy, which would be a partial adrenalectomy, to leave some tissue behind. Could you paint the picture, as I always say, of what would be done to remove that tumor? So in that instance, in, is we would actually remove the entire adrenal gland with a surrounding um, uh, soft tissue or fatty tissue layer to ensure that we have removed 
all of the tumor. What we don't want to do is leave behind cells of tumor, um, and these tend to be very soft glands, and so the best way to do that if, um, again, if they have a remaining normal adrenal gland is to remove the entire thing. And Dr. Udelsman, is this minimally invasive surgery as well? Yes, so there are different approaches to the adrenal gland, mm -hmm. depending, for instance, if a patient has a very large, aggressive cancer, they need a very large, aggressive operation, and this would not be appropriate. But Dr. Aaron Jerry is a world's expert on the smaller tumors and minimally invasive approaches, particularly a posterior approach, and I believe you're the only person in Miami, certainly, and maybe in Florida, doing this posterior approach. I, that I, I'm not certain. You're being humble. <laughs> um, at Baptist, though, this is one of the things that when when I came to Baptist, that I really um, have been have been uh, moving to 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 uh, to have the program here because um, so th as as discussed, there are many different ways for any surgery that we can approach um, that we can approach things, and it's based on. A multitude of things. It is based on the patient, their history, their body habitus. It's also based on the tumor, what type of tumor it is, where it's located, how aggressive it looks. As Dr. Udelsman mentioned, if you have a very large invasive tumor, then the surgery has to be appropriate for that. We worry about cure first. Mm. Um, but for the vast majority of adrenal tumors are small and um, and we can, we can approach them from a minimally invasive aspect. Unfortunately, we're nearing the end of the show, and I could go on for hours here. I did want to just mention that even being with you both, which has been such a delight and a pleasure, I, I see just such a great relationship, and I wanted to chime in on that in 30 seconds, and I can only imagine your patients appreciate it. Uh, it I could see that, like a dynamic duo here. It's well, important, isn't it, doctor? Well, I think it's incredibly important. First of all, surgery is a team sport. We work together, and it's not just doctors, it's the nurses, it's the technicians in the operating room, it's everybody we work with is critical. But also, frankly, I'm so lucky to have Dr. Aaron Jerry working with me. Our patients do better. We scrub together in almost every operation, so it's really a great pleasure for me to have her working with me. Truly appreciate Thank you. your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming Thank in. You. Hope so to much. see you again soon. And that's all the time we have for today as well. I want to thank both experts and I also want to thank Lynette for coming. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at All Health TV where you can get health tips from our experts and see what's coming up on the Health Channel as well. Visit our website allhealthtv.com and if you haven't already get the Health Channel app. It's absolutely free. It's fantastic. Thousands of videos there. You really will enjoy it. I'm Olga Villaverde. We'll see you next time. You take care.